Hello again, my name is Anne-Marie Zanzel and welcome to Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories. I am an ordained minister, bereavement counselor, conversationalist, spiritual wanderer, later in life lesbian, change maker, blogger, author, mom of four beautiful children, wife to my lovely wife, Tonda McKay, a northerner living in the South and trying to figure it all out. I share the stories of people who are coming out later in life to the LGBTQIA community and other queer stories. These stories are compelling, heartbreaking, joyful, and inspirational. I started this podcast because we need to normalize exploration and of sexuality and gender at all ages. Plus, visibility is vital to the queer community. It's never too late to be who we are created to be. My guest proved that. Hi, good afternoon. This is Amory Zanzel, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of my podcast, Coming Out and Beyond LGBTQIA Plus Stories. I'm very excited today to welcome my guest, Michelle Vandehey. And so let me tell you a little bit about this wonderful woman. After the death of her son, James, Michelle was in denial about her mental health. She battled depression, anxiety, and PTSD. Michelle's relationship with her living daughter was torn apart. She was binge eating to numb her pain and felt completely lost in her own life. Michelle found herself again because of a holistic practices and meaningful connections built in community with like-minded people. This led her on a whole new career path where she now helps others after loss to do the same. She founded Light of Love Coaching in February 2020 and is a holistic transformational life coach. Michelle's mission is to create a community of empowered folks that rediscover who they are now after loss by knowing their self-worth and embracing their spiritual gifts so they can influence social change for themselves and others around the world. Together, they are co-creating a more inclusive, peaceful, and prosperous world. Michelle is a certified holistic life coach and nutrition coach. She has been featured in Bravo Magazine and many podcasts throughout the world. When she's not coaching, you can find Michelle making dance videos in her kitchen, biking to Pilates, getting lost in the woods, or running with the sunrise. Ah, oh, that's so beautiful. Welcome, Michelle. I'm so excited to have you today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Anne-Marie. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, so just to let everybody in on a little secret, Michelle and I met each other because we have the same coach and we are in the same program and um, just sort of were gravitated toward, towards each other over the last six months, so much so that if you are watching this on YouTube, we are dressed in the same color. <laughs> this was not planned. We are both in blue. Um, so Michelle, tell me your story. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. So talking about the death of my son, that really brought forward a lot of stuff from my childhood that I thought I processed through or that I didn't really think was something that I needed to do more work on. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the big things that kept coming up was when I found out that I was intersex when I was about 15 years old. At the time, I hadn't even heard of that term, mm -hmm. intersex. Um, I was told that it was uh, androgen insensitive syndrome, which I think is still a term that is used. Um, and it's AIS. Um, but I 
really, and then at that time, like I found out, um, and I had a surgery and really after that, you know, I was told really don't tell anybody because like, it's something that's kind of like, there's not a lot of people like you out there and, you know, and I think part of it came from a place of, yeah, 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 go ahead. Okay. For laymen who don't understand what intersex means, can you tell us what that means? Sure. I'll do my best. Uh, because again, like, and, and I know Michelle and I've talked about this and she wants to be very clear that she is not a spokesman <laughs> spokesperson for the intersex community. This is just her own personal story. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. And, and that's the, I think that's why we've really started to gravitate towards each other because it's only been recently in my thirties that I learned of the term intersex in the first place. So it's been over 15 years that I've been this person and not really had another term for it, that I started meeting other people um, like myself and really started kind of being curious about who, who am I? Um, Mm -hmm. And what can this mean for, for me? Um, And so, yeah. And, and so going back to like my story, it's like, I was told, you know, not to tell people because, you know, there aren't a lot of people out there like you. And two, it's like, at the time, the wasn't really any internet there was, you know, there weren't face, there wasn't Facebook or anything like that. So like finding people like you, it was like, you know, you should just not tell anyone. Um, and it was coming from, I think like, we want to protect you because we don't know how people are going to treat you if they find out. Um, and, and so like, basically what it means is for, for me at least, and I know there's a lot of different variations of it, but it means that I was assigned female at birth and I have XY chromosomes, which is typically assigned to males at birth. Um, mm-hmm. And then for me personally, like I was born with gonads that, which is where my ovaries would have been. So they were like internal, they weren't like testes, like typical oh. males have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, and, and for me, like I didn't have a uterus or ovaries or anything like that. Um, but so I had a surgery to remove the gonads, which I'm I'm learning more about now that oftentimes those are unnecessary surgeries, Mm -hmm. but they do it because you're, we're told from the doctors and and like my parents were told that I have a, a risk of testicular cancer or like cancer. And, and so it's like, just remove them and then get on hormone replacement therapy. So did your parents know about this? Like, when did this off? Did they know about this when you were a baby? No, no. And so this happened when you were probably like, I'm assuming 15 and 16. And I am assuming it's because you weren't getting your period. Right, exactly. Exactly. Right, right, yeah. Right. And that's, and again, that's a new thing that I found out that because there's so many different variations of how this shows up is some parents know when their child is born and then surgeries happen. And oftentimes kids don't even, then they may grow up not knowing that about themselves because if they had these surgeries, like you don't obviously remember it as an infant. And so it's interesting talking to other people in the community of, of I've met some people that they didn't find out until they were in their thirties about this because, but their parents had known for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, it's interesting because, so my children were both adopted mm-hmm. and my living daughter is white and we have an open adoption and all that kind of stuff. But 
especially again, in year long ago, people that I know that are adoptees that are my age, it was much more common where if you were the same race as your parents, that children were not told if that they were adopted. And then all of a sudden there's this like, and so it gets talked about in the adoption community that how would you feel if there was a secret about you that you didn't know, but everyone around you knew. And so I really think about that in the intersex community too, where some people it's like, they don't know, but obviously their parents know, and maybe no one beyond that knows, but oftentimes aunts and uncles know and things like that. And it's like, all of a sudden, all these people around, you know, this secret about you, but you don't even know it. And how like hard that can be for trusting people that later in life. Absolutely. And I can imagine what kind of like, you know, I, I'm, I, I have a couple questions of curiosity. So yeah. my first one is, is like, so a lot of times people in the LGBTQ community often talk about feeling different and not understanding why. And, you know, it's just like this feeling of not fitting in what we call compulsory heterosexuality. And so it's like we talk about that a lot. And I'm curious, before the diagnosis, did you feel that way? And and I can imagine after the diagnosis and the way your parents dealt with it, and I, and I hear you that, you know, they were doing it in a way to protect you. Um, did that change? I'm just curious the before and after. Did you even think about, like, did you ever feel, like, different than your peers? Um, I think all humans feel that in some level, but it's really, really pronounced in the LGBTQ community. Yeah, and I think before, I didn't feel too much different because, so, some of the other things, um, I was, like, I don't know if it was, would be considered tested, but, like, the intersex was like the last thing that we got to on the list. Like I was looked at for other different things because um, I'm taller than my dad and my mom. I have two younger brothers that are now around the same height as me, but I have an older sister who was shorter than both of my parents. And all of a sudden here comes this like huge girl, like, why are you so tall? So I did kind of start feeling a little bit Mm-hmm. that I didn't belong, except for the fact that I was already play- a volleyball player in high school. So volleyball players kind of tend to be a little bit taller, oh, yeah. even yeah, as freshmen and sophomores and things like that. So in that aspect, I didn't feel like this, like, I don't belong sort of thing. But then once I found out, then I definitely, I mean, I questioned a lot of like who I was. I'm like, mm-hmm. am I a boy? Am I a girl? Do I like boys? Do I like girls? Like all of these things. And I didn't feel safe to really talk to my parents about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I spent a lot of nights crying. (laughs) I'm so sorry, honey. Yeah. Because it sounds like at the time, and you know, the the thing is, is that I think a lot of the kids miss, and I know you're like about 40, right? Like, you know, a lot of the kids miss these days is like how different things were even 20 years ago, five yeah. years ago. And like, so like you said, there was no internet, so you couldn't go. I mean, it, it, there was, but it's not like it is now. And you couldn't go intersex. Right. <laughs> you just couldn't do that. And so like, unless you were hooked up to a hospital that had a program or your parents sought out some sort of support for you around this, you just didn't have an opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. And so going back to your original statement about your son dying, 
often when parents lose children, it is an incredibly isolating experience for them. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that that isolation you felt when he passed and the isolation you felt when you realized that you were, you were, you were not biologically a girl, but you were more intersex, that that grief over the loss of both identities was very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It was very similar. And, and it also like brought up very similar feelings of, because, you know, I found out then like that I couldn't have biological children when I was younger and all that kind of stuff. And I grew up thinking like, well, I'm just not going to have kids and I'm going to be okay with that. Um, and so then like after my son died, it was almost like, why, why, why did I try so hard to become a parent? Maybe I just wasn't meant to be a parent and like those types of feelings. Like, and then like, I'm a bad mom and, and like, I'm just not meant to be a parent, even though I have a living daughter, like those same thoughts do come up. And so it was like isolating in, in kind of two different ways, but very similar ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, as both of us know, because we both work in the grief world, grief is grief. Yeah. Loss is loss. And they're, they're different um, different losses, but still like those feelings are very, very similar. So yeah. as you made your way through high school and college and all that stuff, what was it like for you? Did you just not talk to anybody about it or what did you do? How, or did you look for people that were like you? Because community is, as we both know, community is everything and navigating these things. Yeah. Community is everything. And so I had I had three friends that I told when I was in high school that were like my closest friends and they knew, but really nobody else knew. Um, and I honestly, I, I didn't, I think I didn't look for community. I was just like, you know, I, I got so used to, I guess, hiding it because it wasn't that hard to hide really. You know, it's yeah. like, I, I, there wasn't really much to hide because I, you know, I look like a female and I, I identified as a female, yeah. right? Like, so there wasn't much to hide except for the fact that I didn't get a period. And so like, I didn't complain about the things that all my friends were complaining about. Um, I, I know another, I know I have a couple other people that I know that are intersex and present as female um, completely. And they used to carry like tampons in their, um, in their purses, even though they didn't, they never needed them. Did you do stuff like that? No, but I would get yeah. very annoyed at my friends when they didn't have the things that they needed. And I, but like it's internally annoyed. People. Yeah, right. Internally annoyed. Not like I wouldn't be like, how do you guys not have this stuff with you? But like, I would just be like, and, and those would be times where then that's where that like feeling alone would really come up where it's like, man, I wish I had those problems. And, and the interesting thing too, is like, as I became an adult and I would kind of tell people one off about it like if I would become close with someone and oftentimes even with like again with like other typical type of grief like w when you lose a person people don't know what to say so they end up saying something that is kind of dumb um where like people would be like oh you're so lucky you don't have to deal with a period you know like you know you don't have to deal with cramps and all that kind of stuff and it's like yeah but also like I don't get to choose whether or not I have kids really like that's what I would always think it's like well, at least you get to make that choice. And I, I, I don't. 
Um, or like, you know, I, you know, I have to adopt if I want to have children. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I, I would, people would say things like that to me, like, oh, at least you don't have to deal with this, which is again, very similar to when I lost my son. Like people would just say like, oh, at least he's in a better place or something like that, where it's just like, I don't need to hear that. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we should do a show, Michelle, sometimes on things not to say to someone who is grieving. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, I mean, and it's interesting because it's like, yeah, you know, now in my adult life, yeah, it's great to not have to deal with having a period. And yes, I do know my son is in a better place, but I don't need someone to tell me those things. Absolutely. <laughs> and also too, sometimes, yeah, it's, it's people, when people don't know what to say, I find that they often like grasp at straws to say anything. Yeah. Instead of, which I always suggest the best thing to say when people tell you unexpected news is thank you so much for telling me. I'm so glad you shared that with me. You yeah. Know? Tell me about it because a lot of people don't know what intersex means. And a lot of times they confuse it with being trans, which it is, yeah. which it's not trans is a different part of the LGBTQ family, but intersex is really something that happens to people physically. And, and, and um, I'm going to be really careful here because I don't want to say anything to anything wrong. Um, but you know, I, the difference, someone who is trans may be biologically present as a male or female at birth and have, quote unquote, all the parts, but emotionally and mentally, they feel like the opposite gender. And so that is what I, def what I believe a trans person is. And if that is wrong, I would love for someone to correct me. While somebody who is intersex often has uh, biological parts that are not typically assigned to their birth, what they've been assigned as birth. Right. It's really interesting because you can't be a cisgender woman. You can't claim being a cisgender woman, right? When people right. say cisgender, you're like, well, that's not me. <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm somebody who defines as intersex and, and as, as female. Right. And I mean, that's an interesting thing too, about like finding community too, because I mean, and I've, I think I've talked to you about this too. It's like, I feel like I don't necessarily fit in with the LGBTQIA plus community because I can hide and pretend I am a cisgender white woman or what, you know what I mean? Like I can pretend that, especially because I'm married to a man, like all that kind of like, I, I can, I can fake it much easier <laughs> because that's, I don't really, there's nothing to really hide, but like people don't know that about me and I don't have to like share that with everyone either um yeah but let me ask you a question then because i like quote unquote i can pass you know as straight right um uh but what's the cost of doing that right you know yeah you could you could never talk about this again you could say you know what i'm never going to talk about it again but i think the cost of it is it's so much greater than ourselves because mm -hmm. there is a parent out there that has has just had a baby who is is intersex and is like, oh my god, their life is going to be horrible. Uh, you know, there is a teenage girl out there that all of a sudden has just realized that about themselves, and 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 you know somebody above somebody hears this podcast and they say hey listen there's this woman who's who's intersex 
So like to me, it's about like representation matters. Yeah. As the queer community has become more visible, I believe it's so important all members of our community and you are a member of our community um, become visible as well. People need to see that there's a face to it. And, you know, I think about how, you know, you were told, like, don't talk about it, don't talk about it. And the thing is, is that if we don't talk about things, it makes everything so much more scarier. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so having that, like, you know, that person out there that sees you and says, oh, you know, and, and you know, and there will always be prejudiced people and always people that don't understand and always people that will be like, oh, I don't want to talk to her because she's intersex. But that is such a minority compared to the people who are like, oh, this is so cool. I've never met anybody like you. Tell me about your experiences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's, it's interesting too. I mean, I, I know you um, work with a lot of people that like come out later in life. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's, it's a similar thing, but you, like I shared a post about being intersex a few months ago when a lot of like the, the trans female athletes Mm -hmm. Uh, stuff was really circulating again, uh, because I played volleyball in college and I saw a, right. What what was that? Competitive volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I saw this post, um, about like genetically male people or whatever shouldn't be in female sports. And it showed women diving into the pool and it, and it showed why, why, Y, Y, X, Y, 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 like, so it's showing the chromosomes over the top of them. And that was something. And like you said, it's like trans is different than intersex. Right. But like that piece of it is, is a similarity where I was like, whether that person is transgender or intersex, it's like, that's, that's me like showing that. And I felt like I had to share because people don't even realize that there are women competing in college athletics that have XY chromosomes that they never thought twice about, mm-hmm. right? Like that it's like, there are people already doing it that you don't even care about. Like, or, you know, like that it wasn't a big deal for you then. Like, what it, how is it any different now? And so I've been really diving a little bit more into tr- transgender, especially specifically trans, um, gender women mm-hmm. and, and athletics and things like that, because I resonate a lot with that and, um, and feel like people that shouldn't care about it, care about it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's their own, again, it's their own fear, right? Yeah. Right. But they don't know. And so they're going to, whatever they don't know, they're just going to label as wrong. And that is been a problem, I think, in our country for a while now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the work you do. Yeah. So I, it's, it's interesting because it's definitely evolved over the last few years because I really focused on helping grieving moms for a while, but it's definitely shifted, especially with me really talking more about being intersex and things like that. It's really evolved into helping people reclaim their identity after Mm -hmm. having some sort of loss or like life change. We're really like finding themselves again. Cause for me, again, I, this definitely happened when I was a teenager, but then it was, uh, it happened again after my son died, where it was like, I, I agree. I was grieving him 
But then when the dust kind of settled and everyone went back to their ordinary lives, I wasn't connecting with my life that I had. Like, I felt like I was just feeling like, I don't know who I am. I'm like, I want to do something, but I don't know what. Mm -hmm. And so I really help people kind of reclaim who they are. And a lot of like, it starts with like loving yourself again. Mm -hmm. And I get like, and I feel like that resonates too with like people in this community where it's just like, yeah, we have to learn to love ourselves and love our bodies. Mm -hmm. And when we can start really loving ourselves and, and loving ourselves for who we are in this moment and knowing that we can love ourselves for who we are now and want to evolve and change at the same time, we have to love ourselves now. And as we're growing in order for us to kind of grow and evolve into that person that we want to become. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I help people with that process when they're in that place of like feeling stuck, but not knowing how to move forward. Mm -hmm. What did you do to move forward? Like when, because a lot of us, because we're both coaches, we both work with certain, um, you know, in the coaching world, there's niches. Yeah. We both work with certain niches and both of us work with people who are grieving a loss, you know? Um, And um, how did you do the, like, what was, I I believe that the, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I believe the impetus is that you were like, I just can't live like this. It's, you know, after your son died. I can't live like this. And it didn't, didn't happen right away. I'm sure it was a month or right. I mean, sorry, it was like a couple of years later, you know, that you said, was it a couple of years later? It was, it actually ended up being about six months later. And there was a, a key thing that I recognized over these last couple of years, honestly, that was the big shift. And it was the fact that my husband and I decided that we weren't going to try to adopt any more children. And so it was like, after that, again, where it was like, I'm, you know, I still grieve my son, you know, but not like every day heavy in it. Mm-hmm. I, w- I w- ended up like starting to grieve who I was because I'm like, okay, I'm not, my son had special needs. So it's like, I'm not a special needs mom anymore. And again, that part of me where it's like, I'm not even a good enough mom because I only have one kid. And if you have one kid, like that doesn't make you like, to me, it was like, I had all these negative limited thinking in my head and it was like, I always pictured myself having multiple kids. Cause actually my husband and I, when we went into adoption, I told my husband, I'm like, if we do this, we're having, we're doing this more than once. I don't want to have just one kid. Like we went into before our daughter's adoption. Like that's, I said, I'm, I either want zero kids or I want lots of kids. I don't want one kid. <laughs> and so, yes, I still have two children, but when you're pa- only parenting one living child, it feels like you only have one kid. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the world sees it as you only have one kid. And like that societal judgment of like, why do you only have one kid too? Like, you know, all those things. So right. it was like this, this time of like, I don't know who I am anymore because I'm not who I thought I wa- was becoming. I'm not who like, like, because when James was alive with his special needs, like we just like stepped into it relatively easily. I mean, it helped that I also cared for my nephew for five years that had significant special needs. Um, and so it was like all the doctor's appointments and the driving and all that kind of stuff. And even Abigail, our living daughter, like she was such a great big sister 
holding him when he was crying, like all these types of things. It was like, it just felt so right for our family to be in this like kind of a little bit of a chaos, but I kind of liked living in chaos. And then it was like, my life isn't chaotic at all. I have one child and like, I don't know. I just, I didn't feel like I was me anymore. And so I was grieving. Yeah. And I also hear you say that sometimes we're so used to chaos. We think that's the only way to live our lives. Yeah. And when that chaos that you had around you shifted and it's, you know, having one kid is a lot of work too, by the way. It is. (laughs) Please don't sell yourself short here. Um, But like, it's like we realize that we don't have to live in chaos all the time. And so what, what I hear you saying, and so for example, I, I know you're starting to work with some divorcing women now. And the thing is, is that when we divorce, a lot of times that divorce has taken us years to get to that point. And so there is a lot of feelings of chaos. Should I stay? Should I go? Should I keep working? Should we go back to marriage therapy? Should we do this? Should we do that? And so you're in this mode of like sort of being in half in, half out of your marriage for a really long time before you start to lead. I know this because of my own personal experience. And then it's when you make the move and you leave that marriage, it's like all that chaos around the marriage is gone and you're like oh wait a minute now I'm living so then sometimes people go on and get married again and they're back in the chaos again but then there's some people that are like um what am I going to do with myself and how am I going to live my life like this now that I have shifted out of that chaos into this new reality and it sounds like you had this incredibly new reality in front of you and, and it sounds like you had a, like, like we call in the later in life um, community, we, we call it the catalyst. And sometimes a catalyst is a woman you fall in love with, but it also can be a catalytic event. So death of a child, um, death of a parent, um, a divorce, you get seriously ill and have to navigate a serious illness or something like that. And it sounds like your catalytic moment for you was, oh, we're not going to adopt another child. How do I define myself other than, you know, you thought you were going to define yourself as this mother of this large family. And now it's like, oh, you're, I'm not going to do that. And then what ends up happening is you end up grieving your future. Right, exactly. Future of what you thought you were going to have. Yeah. Yeah. So you got yourself out of there by starting to think about how you were going to live your life. Yeah. And that I feel like I, I got to this point um, and it was really interesting because um, I was doing like a regular newsletter at the time and I would oftentimes do a video for it. And so I was, I was writing my newsletter and I was just like, oh my gosh, I just can't even write this. I need to just say it into a camera. And so I like, I turned on my phone and I just recorded this video and it, I ended up sharing it like on YouTube and Facebook and everything like that. And I just really talked about how I was just like so sick of trying to motivate myself to get out of bed and motivate myself to, to do anything because, because I was so depressed, motivation like wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. And it was, and, and the reason that thought came to me is because I am a positive person. And actually like with the Clifton Finders, my number one is positivity, mm-hmm. but I was like, 
so sick of motivation and like positive quotes because I was just like, it's such BS. Like I felt like that is not like, that's not going to get you where you want to go. And it's like, I've been trying so hard to get myself out of bed every day. And it just wasn't working. Like I want to work out, but it wasn't like, I want to feel healthy. I want to feel all these things, but it was just like, I was relying so much on my motivation to get me there. And it was like, I couldn't rely on that anymore. Um, so a big thing for me at that moment was I signed up for a 10 K and that required me to do a lot more training, like running. It required me to eat in a different way. And I had run a couple 10 Ks in the past and, and several five Ks. And I knew that in order for me to run this 10 K without getting injuries, cause I had gotten injuries in the past and like actually wanting to feel good at the end of the race, instead of like, I wanted to just fall over because I felt like that at the end of those other two races too, mm-hmm. I was like, I know this is where I need to go and be able to do these things. So I shifted from relying on motivation and just wanting it to be a want to it being a need. And actually it was like beyond the need, like figuring out why it was so important to me. Like, why did I want to run that race? And it was so much more, it was beyond, um, it was beyond wanting to be healthy. It was like me wanting to like find myself again. It was really because like my daughter and I were yelling at each other constantly. Like it was just, and like you said before, it's like binge eating and didn't mean like well, I stopped yelling at my daughter. It didn't mean that I stopped binge eating, but I, I had something to focus on that I knew was going to help me. And we also started therapy at the same time. I had my own therapist, like, and so it all kind of evolved together through that. Yeah. Yeah. It um, sounded like you found purpose. Yeah, I did. I did at least for a short while, you right. know, but because then when the 10 K was over, I was like, okay, now, like now what's next too. Um, and that's when I started into this, started into coaching, um, which I reluctantly stepped into cause I never wanted to be a coach. Um, I, but then- I hated the word, like I had to do, like, I understand that because like, like for me, like, because I have a lot of professional training under other things, like the coach to me, I always like rolled my eyes at, and I really, had to do a lot of work to become comfortable with calling myself a coach. But what I found out, Michelle, which was so interesting, is that, like, when I called myself a counselor, like, my business was much smaller, and then I called myself a coach, and people were like, yay! And I think it's just that people are afraid of the word coach. Yeah. So, I mean, like, a lot of us bring all those skills, but we call ourselves a coach, and people are less fearful of that word versus therapist, counselor, grief counselor, you know, calling yourself a coach makes people less frightened and I also like it too because I do feel like somebody who is a coach should have the life what they're coaching on they should have some life experience with that definitely you know and both of you and I have you know different life experiences that have led us into coaching so I've got a couple of questions for you um I was in all my um podcasts with this um so when you were coming out as intersex which has really been fairly recently, like publicly, I think right around family and friends. I knew, um, did Mm -hmm. you have a coming out song? Yeah. So yeah. And so my coming out would be like most of my friends, like didn't really know. And I don't, I don't even know how much of my family really knew besides my immediate family. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of interesting. 
Um, and I really feel like over the past couple years, one of the, a song that really resonated with me that I actually haven't listened to in a little while, but is like into the unknown from the movie frozen, uh, <laughs> frozen Two, uh, the second one, um, says the mom. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, I know. And so it's like, but it's such a good song about like stepping into this unknown place. Well, I'm gonna like, who that. am I and like where am I going it's such a good song does it um, make you cry um it can make me cry it really makes me feel like okay like I can do this it like makes me feel empowered too I feel like I mean <laughs> I, because too I was doing daycare part-time for a while and so <laughs> when that movie came out too it was like we would just jam out to Frozen 2 and like, that was like my song, you know, everyone had their song that they liked all the little, all the kids had their song that they liked. Um, but that was the one that I really liked was like yeah. into the unknown. And I feel like it really resonates with stepping into that unknown place. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to go listen to that when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm up, I've seen frozen one. I don't know if I've seen frozen two. I like frozen. It's a very cute, it was, so as, as the mother of four kids, I have seen every Disney movie but frozen came after my kids grew up so i actually ended up watching it with my great nieces and yeah movie but now i actually watch a lot of the disney movies like encanto yeah oh, yes yeah mm -hmm. i like i actually go and watch them now because i miss that and then my kids watch them too my older two are really into musicals so my 31 year old is like have you seen the newest disney movie so yeah, yeah. Um, so my second question to you is, do you have a book or a um, movie or something besides Frozen that has really, really changed your viewpoint on things? I mean, it so it have to be with the LGBTQ stuff. Yeah. I mean, so I, as far as a movie like Frozen 2, I would highly recommend watching it. I mean, it's really about Elsa finding out who she is. Mm -hmm. It's a really good movie. And I've actually done trainings based on the movie and the different songs in the movie. Oh, that's uh, the, the songs are so good. Like there's one song called The Next Right Thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really powerful too. Uh, so that has been really helpful. I think, you know, a book that I have that's, it's called Vital Voices. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, but it's, um, Actually, I'll, I can grab it for you quick. It's just like, I have it sitting up because it's such a beautiful picture. And it's, so Amanda Gorman is on the front, but mm -hmm. so it's a big, heavy book and it's a hundred women using their power to empower. And so each page is a picture and then it just like gives a brief little oh, that sounds like a wonderful book it's amazing it's like a brief little bio and so like the person I just opened up to I don't I don't want to like say her name wrong but it's Oksana and I don't know how to say her last name but she's from Ukraine mm -hmm. so it's like women from all over the world and just like and what what they're doing to like make a change in the world and and make a difference and it's a really empowering book and it's a great it's like a great coffee table one, obviously. Like well, I'm actually thinking about it now to like, as like, like, you know, when you go into next level coaching and you want to coach other people to be coaches, it's like, that would be a great book. To it, give is. Yeah. it is. Yeah. I'm going to get it. That's it's it. so, it is. And like, and it's nice. Like I have a bookmark in it, mm -hmm. um, but like, you can just read one page if you want to be inspired yeah. or you can read 
however many pages you want. It's like such an easy book to just like, hey, I want to read and now I and for five minutes and be done. I actually like the Brene Brown book, Atlas of the Heart. I really like that book. She, you know, goes, she yeah. goes through just words and you can just read a word. And that will be, and actually sometimes I think it's really nice to like, if you're somebody who leads groups and stuff like that, like both Michelle and I do, some of these books are great resources because if you're like thinking, okay, what am I going to do with them this week? And what's, what's, what have we been talking about and thinking about? Some of those books give such great inspiration. So really, I'm going to, I'm going to get that one. Okay. I have, oh wait, wait, I need to say, I do love Brene Brown and actually her book, Braving the Wilderness was a big one for me because that's all about like, um, belonging to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not read, read Atlas of the heart yet. So I, I have it on my list. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. So then first, the last question for you is how would you describe your life now? My life now, I feel like it's like very curious, I guess is like the word that's coming to me. Like I'm very just I've always been a curious person, but like curious in a way of like, I'm just in such a learning mode of like learning about myself. And that has really helped me to like give myself more grace and be forgiving of myself, which then has helped me with parenting my daughter and giving her more grace, my relationship with my husband. Just, I feel like we, it's like, I'm at a like very like forgiving place like that's what my life is and and that and like I don't I don't know how that sounds but like it's just like a place of like hey like everyone is different we can accept each other for who we are and and that like that's kind of like where I'm at and it's just like and and continuing to just like grow and evolve and be excited about the growth and evolution and not be so scared of it there's still definitely scary moments for sure but like embracing that like growth and that transformation for myself and for my clients well, it's really interesting, too, because I think it's going back again back to Brene Brown, which I think I'm hearing you say the same thing. She says, if you start believing everybody is doing the best they can, it it make, it changes everything. It does. It changes relationships with other people. It changes our it just changes everything. And it's best and most important to do that with our spouses. (laughs) Sometimes we're like, oh my gosh. But if we can believe that our spouses are doing the best they can, it can change things very Yeah, And I mean, and it's hardest with the people that are closest to us, right? Because we're with them all the time. And like, you know, we, and even like we've talked about with our therapist for our daughter too, it's like the reason she acts, you know, has tantrums and explodes at us is because we're her safe people. She doesn't feel safe to do that with other people. So it's like, we oftentimes have these arguments with people that we feel safe having these oh, yeah. arguments and things around. So yeah, it's oh, yeah, going to happen. We're, we're always our worst self around the pieces, people we feel safest. Yes. Right. Yeah, that's, and also too, that's like, and it's so in, in the coaching program that Michelle and I are in, we often talk about our inner child and which inner child is driving the bus and stuff like that. And there's a bunch of different, if you've ever done inner child work, I would highly recommend it, but it's also like, with the people we love our most, often our inner child shows up. The one that like, you know, is the five-year-old who starts driving the bus that day or the 14, my 14-year-old shows up the most in my life. So, so Michelle, if people want to reach out to you or work with you, how do they find you? Yeah, they can find me on social media, like Facebook or Instagram as Michelle Vandehey. That's the easiest way. Like send me a friend request or follow me. 
Um, I do offer a free Facebook community that people can kind of join and, um, and I do, you know, free, um, weekly trainings and things in there to, for people to get a feel for me and to just kind of learn a little bit more and discover and, and see like, Hey, like, is this the path that, that I want to be on? And so right now the name of the group is transforming your grief. Um, I may be adjusting it a little bit, but you can look mm -hmm. up transforming your grief or just send me a friend request and I can send you the link to it. That would be, that would be great. I would highly recommend if anybody, what Michelle has said today, um, resonates with you. She is an incredibly positive person and she's wonderful to be around. And, and the name of your light of love coaching is so apropos because you do have a lot of positivity from you and it's just nice to spend time with you. And, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your stories, all of them. You have a lot. And um, I just want to say thank you. It was nice having you and nice sharing our blue. And by the way, I have shorts on too. So, Oh, yeah. You probably saw my shorts. Good thing I was wearing decent pants. <laughs> They're Zoom ready on the top. <laughs> yeah, but I got the book, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, thanks.